Trapper, we were having lunch, he goes, Trapper, I'd be fine with the NIV and NLT if they would just call themselves what they are. And I said, what's that? He goes, paraphrases. Well, I said, well, they're not paraphrases. We spent 10 years, 90 scholars in total, working very carefully with the Greek and Hebrew text. I use the NLT all the time. I'm not a new believer, you know, and it's, it's a wonderful translation to use uh, at all levels of understanding. And I'm on the roll. It's watering time, everybody. It's time for Apollos Watered, a podcast to saturate your faith with the things of God so that you might saturate your world with the good news of Jesus Christ. My name is Travis Michael Fleming, and I am your host. And today, we're having another one of our Deep Conversations. A deep conversation with Old Testament scholar Tremper Longman III. What Bible translation should we use? Why does it matter? It's no secret that we advocate for the NLT, and it's not that we think other translations are bad, no. We use several different translations. The reason we have a relationship with the NLT is simple. It's easy to understand, and we believe that it most effectively communicates the truth of who God is in our modern language. There are many people out there who advocate for one translation or another, and there are some very good translations and some not-so-good translations. The point that we are trying to make is this. It doesn't matter what translation you have if you don't read it and apply what it says. Several years ago, I was interviewing for a position at a radio ministry, a pretty well-known one. They had this idea. If they could get a Bible into the hands of every American, then they would be doing their job. But before they decided to actually go through with it, they wanted to see how many people actually had Bibles. So they commissioned a study, a survey to be done. And they surveyed 30,000 people. And they discovered something. People had Bibles. They just weren't reading them. I've had some people over the years that I've interacted with who advocate for their preferred translation, and they believe that it promotes a more serious form of spirituality. And while I love them dearly, I disagree, because I see that such an idea is more grounded in the promotion of their own form of spirituality than actually reaching others. Having pastored for over 20 years, I must admit that for many years, that's how I viewed Bible translations. Truth be told, I scoffed at some, rolled my eyes at others, and vilified some more, and I had professors do the same. But as time went on, when I was standing in front of people day in and day out, week after week, hour after hour, I started asking myself the the question, Are the people that I'm ministering to actually understanding what is being preached and taught? I found myself going to the NLT over and over again because it helped me clarify metaphors and idioms, things that I would read with flowery, flowery, flowery spiritual language. I found that I really didn't grasp or understand. Not that we didn't need to read those words or understand them, but just at first glance, I didn't get it. I needed to understand what was being talked about. 
I wanted something that conveyed the truth of God's word and impressed it upon the listener so as to move to action. And the New Living Translation did just that. I'm not saying that it's the only translation that we should use, no. What I'm saying is that I kept going back to it again and again for clarity, so as to communicate and serve more effectively. And if I did that, I'm willing that you would do the same. At Apollos Watered, we want to bring you voices to help you in your walk with God. People that make us think differently, who really want to help us grow and become more like Christ, and who deeply want to see the kingdom of God expand all over the world. Today, we are privileged to have one of those voices. We are pleased to welcome Tremper Longman III to the show. He is the Distinguished Scholar of Biblical Studies at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California, where he was the Robert H. Gundry Professor of Biblical Studies for 19 years before his retirement in 2017. He earned his B.A. from Ohio Wesleyan University, his Master of Divinity from Westminster Theological Seminary, and his Master of Philosophy and Ph.D. from Yale University. Prior to joining Westmont in 1998, Longman taught for 18 years at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. He's also served as visiting professor at the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, an adjunct professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, and a guest lecturer at Regent College in the Canadian Theological Seminary. Longman has contributed to a number of commentaries, including the New International Commentary on the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes, the NIV Application Commentary for Daniel, and the New International Biblical Commentary, Jeremiah and Lamentations, as well as the Baker Old Testament Wisdom Series for Proverbs. In addition, he was the senior translator for the wisdom books on the central committee that produced and now monitors the New Living Translation. He's married to Alice, and they have three sons. Happy listening. Tremper Longman, welcome to Apollos Watered. Thank you, Travis. It's great to be here with you. <laughs> I'm so excited about this conversation. Are you ready for the Fast Five? I am, I think, ready. Okay, here we go. First one, this is an easy one. This is a softball question for you. What is your favorite snack? Ah, well, at my age, I try to avoid them, but, uh, <laughs> and actually, I've been avoiding them pretty successfully, so, uh, but, you know, guacamole and chips, especially during a Eagles game. Oh, you're an Eagles fan? I'm a big Eagles fan. Well, let's stop a moment and pray. <laughs> um, the Eagles, I have a friend of mine. He's probably going to listen to this episode. He's, uh, he's, he pastors a little outside of Philly. Yeah. In yeah. Uh, yeah. Souderton. Yeah. And uh, I was like, are you an Eagles fan? I didn't know he was from New York. And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> he's yeah. like, they're a bunch of degenerates. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had uh, two season tickets when we lived in Philadelphia in the most notoriously degenerate section of the old uh, vet stadium. <laughs> Uh, with all the South Philly guys. So it's a long story why I had tickets there, but uh, my, I used to take, well, I have three sons, used to take one, uh, you know, take turns taking them there. They got a real education sitting in the end zone and the 700 level in that stadium. So their education, was it in football or in the sinful nature and depravity of man? 
Uh, oh, I, was referring, I was referring to the latter. <laughs> okay. Well, if the Eagles are losing, their father was a model of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's continue that Philadelphia like the train of thought here. Since since you lived in Philadelphia, and Philadelphia is known for its cheesesteaks, you need to weigh in. Right. Pats or Geno's? Uh, Pats, because I uh, coached Little League for and had the son of the then owner of Pats uh, on the team. So, but we usually went to Fatty's. Fatty's on the way down. uh, We lived in the Chestnut Hill area. We'd go down the vet. We'd pass by Fatty's. um, And... uh, and what a great name for a cheesesteak. Yeah, just hearing it makes me think I'm going to gain weight. That can be pretty bad. Okay, here we go. Here's our next question. You are Tremper Longman the third. Do you ever go by third? Uh, no, no. And I don't go by Trey either, which I understand is another. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, I, I don't. I mean, it always gets complicated if there are too many trempers around, but for... <laughs> how about triples? No, not, triple, not triples either. Nope. Nope. <laughs> is your, is your son the fourth? My son's the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and of course, tremper, we call my grandfather. Um, so my great grandfather, so my father is Tremper Longman Jr. My uh, grandfather was, we call him plain Tremper Longman or Tremper Longman, the superb, um, <laughs> the superb. I like that. my great grandfather was Samuel Tremper Longman. And my great, great grandfather was Walter Longman who married, uh, Leah Tremper. And, uh, but two of my daughters-in-law are pregnant and one with the boy, but before I get to the boy, he won't be named Tremper. I have to say this very day, um, my son Tim's second daughter, Samantha Tremper Longman, turns three. It's her birthday today. So. Oh, happy birthday happy. to her. We happen to be at their house uh, at the moment. And so Sam is downstairs running around celebrating her birthday. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. So, have you thought about this, though? Because, uh, you know, I pastored in the inner city of Chicago. So I always had kids giving me rap names. Oh yeah. Uh, so my name is obviously Travis. So they would call me Hot T. Oh yeah. <laughs> my, so you should be yeah. TL three. TL three. Yeah. I sometimes go by TL three, but they call me T Dog. Well, we you know your we know your academic credentials. I mean, you're an Old Testament scholar, but let's let's move out of that for a second and stay stay there. What's your favorite non-academic hobby? Uh yeah, uh, <laughs> I don't know whether uh, playing squash, though during COVID I haven't been playing much squash, uh, walking walking uh, is a favorite one. My wife and I walk every day, not too exciting. Uh, yeah, watching Marvel movies. I don't, you know, I... Oh! So... Uh, <laughs> What's your favorite Marvel movie then? Oh, gosh, it... It goes from movie to movie. I like virtually everyone I see. Um, have, you, have you seen the new Spider-Man? 
No, no, because I I'm waiting till it comes on the little screen. I'm uh, uh, going into a movie theater for a while. I'm, I understand that. I'm, I'm an older, <laughs> older I'm an older gentleman who. <laughs> I understand. I get it. I get it. I totally, totally get it. Okay, here we go. Here's your last question, and this is kind of an odd one. But if you could be a country other than the United States, what country would you be, and why? Oh gosh, I would be <laughs> probably Britain because it's most like the United States, and that's where <laughs> my ancestors came from. I don't know. Uh, I really love the history. I love London's one of my favorite cities. That's a great question. I hadn't quite thought of it that way. That's okay. No, that's fine. It's yeah, yeah. That's my, I, my initial response. <laughs> okay. What is the Tremper Longman story, and how did you get from Growing up, it sounds like your family is originally from New York, and then you became an Old Testament scholar. I mean, how did that happen? Yeah, so the family, yeah, is an old New York family, but I was born in Princeton, New Jersey. So first one born outside of New York, which is close to New York. But then my father married my mother, uh, who uh, I guess that is obvious, but my mother, uh, <laughs> my mother was from Columbus, Ohio. So we moved to Columbus, Ohio and I had a best friend starting in eighth grade named Dan Allender. Some people will know who Dan Allender yes. is, the counselor, psychologist. Yeah. But back then he was just a reprobate. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, so was I, we weren't Christians in eighth grade. So, um, <laughs> but but this is back in the late 60s early 70s during the so-called Jesus revolution so mm-hmm. and we played we played uh for the local high school football team uh and we just celebrated uh just before covid hit we had a celebration of uh the 50th anniversary of our winning the state championship for the third time in a row Wow. The state of Ohio, third in the nation. So we wow. have. What was interesting about that, too, was um, how many of our teammates had become Christians. And, huh. and the fact that on this particular team, more than 50% of us had PhDs or MDs or something like that. It was. Wow. So that, that was kind of interesting. But I mentioned the football team because there was a lo- young local Baptist pastor who kind of befriended the, the team and came and worked out with us, you know, and he wanted to work out. But you, in retrospect, I, obviously, he was befriending us to share the gospel, which we thank God that he did. And I became a Christian at that time. Oh, also another thing, a girlfriend gave me a copy of The Late Great Planet Earth. And as I say now, uh, which was a very popular book back then, but as I say now, um, you know, um, I disowned the hermeneutics, but he got the main point right, which is Jesus is coming back again and you better be on the right side of that divide. By the way, I just finished a commentary on Revelation that's coming out in uh, April. But uh, so I became a Christian, and but uh, already going to Ohio Wesleyan University, small uh, liberal arts college. I wasn't much of an academic. I think I was a C student. I wanted to play football, and I did play football up at Ohio Wesleyan Small School for a while. But at that time, I had become a Christian, and 
other people were becoming a Christian, becoming Christian. So we got a Christian fellowship going and, um, and, um, the second year I met a woman named Alice and Alice had just become a Christian too through the ministry of some Westminster Theological Seminary students, including uh, now famous New Testament scholar, Andrew Lincoln, who was a student at Westminster at the time. And, and there were other interesting students at Westminster at that generation, like Wayne Grudem and Jim Hurley and Dick Kyes and a bunch of people. So just to mention that, that uh, because when I met Alice, she had just come from Labrie, where mm. the, uh, you know, uh, they told her you have to go to Labrie uh, to learn about the faith. And so she studied with Francis and Eva Schaefer and Oz Guinness was there. Matter of fact, the day she arrived, Oz was getting married to Jenny. And so... Wow. So in any case, um, so when I met Alice, she basically, I, I've said this to John Eldridge, by the way, you know, Wild at Heart, John Eldridge, with his picture of uh, the Christian man as kind of a rancher sweeping women off their feet. I said, <laughs> in my case, I said, in my case, um, my wife's model of a Christian man was a PhD in biblical studies. So... <laughs> My average went from a C to I think I never got a, anything under an A after that because nice. she wouldn't make out with me unless uh, I said it. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, so, thus, so thus I become an academic. And as my mother always said, I do things to death. And I loved studying and um, and. And so then I went off to Westminster Seminary to teach. I mean, not to teach, to, to study, get my MDiv, but with the hope that I'd go into an academic ministry and, um, and met Ray Dillard, a uh, young Old Testament scholar, very charismatic, and he just got me very excited about the Old Testament. So he encouraged me to go off to graduate school. I went to Yale did my doctorate, and afterwards he hired me back at Westminster, where I stayed for 18 years, uh, 15 of the best years of my life. <laughs> but uh, but then I went to Westmont College, where I taught 19 years as the Robert Gundry Professor of Biblical Studies. And I redeployed in 2017 so we could move back east to be close to our kids and grandkids. So what state, what state are you in now? Uh, we live in Alexandria, Virginia, uh, to, uh, right across the river from Washington. Um, so two of my sons and their family are here in the DC area and, uh, another one's down in Charlotte. Okay. So it's a lot closer going from Philadelphia to Westmont. That had been quite of a, quite a change. Yeah, it was really tough to get used to that always sunny 72 degree weather with the mountains and the ocean both a mile away and uh <laughs> <laughs> suffering for the Lord. Suffering for oh, the Lord. We we love we love Philadelphia. We really do and we love uh Santa Barbara, which is where Westmont is and then uh we love Alexandria, Virginia. It's a very interesting place. And how long have you been there? About four years, you said? Yeah, about four years. Four years, okay. yeah. And I'm still teaching a lot. As a matter of fact, as I told you yesterday, I just finished grading 90 exams from Westmont College <laughs> while teaching hybrid, you know, and a 
I'm on the board of trustees there. And so I'm still, but I also taught a course for Missio Seminary and I'm teaching a course with my friend Dan Allender at the Seattle School in a couple months. And, and so I'm- Busy guy. Busy, busy, yeah. <laughs> busy guy, busy guy. That's why I'm so glad to have you on the show to take time out. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit. I mean, you've, you've got so many different things that you are into. You're considered an expert in Old Testament, specifically wisdom literature, but you were senior translator on the uh, New Living Translation. Yes. And, and what, what, just talking about that for a bit, because for me, and I, I told you in the pre-show, uh, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and, and anybody that's been in pastoral ministry has their preferred Bible. Yeah. And, and you know, I remember just very young, and uh, I remember sitting in church uh, just as a, a young boy, and I didn't understand the King James at all, and that's what was used at the time. And I remember when my cousin brought the new King James, and I was I was just so excited to to be able to actually read and understand. I wasn't walking with Jesus, but I could understand what he was talking about. And then moved on to the NIV. When I graduated high school, I had a, gifted it from my grandparents and did that. But then I went on to, to Bible college later, and uh, that one was the NASB. But I didn't like the NASB. Everybody told me this is the literal words. And I'm like, well, it might be literal, but it's not easy to read. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I got into pastoral ministry, and the ESV was just making its debut. And it was like, if you are a very spiritual person, you are hyper-spiritual, you need this. And that, that's just what it seemed like. It's not yeah. like anyone said that to me. And I, and I love the ESV and I've, I've used, I, I try to do a different translation every year. But when I got into further into pastoral ministry and I, I'm meeting people from all kinds of backgrounds, people working in warehouses and factories, they're busy. I mean, some of the people in my church just had a very hard time reading anyway. Because uh, we had a real big cross-section of just America, really, and a lot of different immigrants. And so I started using the New Living Translation because not only was it simpler and it flowed, it was how people spoke. And I especially loved it because of the wisdom literature. When you got into Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, because if you talk about just a translation and you get the words exactly right, but concepts across cultures don't always translate. So, so just talking about that for a bit, I, I want to ask you just this. What's the most common misunderstanding people have about translating? The Bible, because people think, you know, that word for word is the most accurate thing. Yeah. And it might have the literal words, but uh, it seems like we're missing something. So talk about that for a bit. Yeah, well, I, I uh, you're pointing me in the right direction. I think that is kind of a misconception. You can see how that misconception, that word for word is more accurate than what's commonly called thought for thought or um, uh, functional equivalent translation. So word for word technically is formal equivalent translation. Thought for thought is functional equivalent. Sometimes it's called dynamic equivalent, but that's considered, uh, you know, the word dynamic is a bit uh, 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 probably too loose to talk about, or it might be kind of marketing. <laughs> but, right, in right. Case, but in any case, um, the bottom line is um, you think word for word because it sounds like you're paying attention to every word and you're trying to preserve how that word uh, in the Hebrew or Greek or the small amount of Aramaic uh, is related to English, but that's not how languages work. Mm. You know? Right. Do, uh, is think a lot of people know uh, the Spanish expression, como se llama, 
you mm-hmm. know? And if you ask, how do you translate that? They're going to say, what's your name? And that's a thought for thought translation as opposed to what is it called or what is it named, you mm-hmm. know, or how is it named? So, so just that one example shows you that thought for thought uh, actually uh, communicates more accurately <laughs> the meaning of the original mm-hmm. language. Now, you could go too far in that direction. You can, uh, you know, and, 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 and we need translations that are more word for word. Um, so, so what I always tell people is, isn't it wonderful that we have this wide spectrum of translations that we can can use um and and you should read more than one of them (laughs) i i agree that's why i tried to go through different types of study bibles over the years yeah right going through different versions because it brings out a different emphasis i mean yeah yeah. it's awesome i mean whether it's the you know the nlt life application bible or the chronological study bible which really messed with me yeah Um, but I, de- doing the HCSB or CSB or NIV or the archaeological study Bible and the NIV, just, just each one brings out something different. Actually, one of my favorites was the literary study Bible, huh. which is uh, because that was looking at the Bible through literature. Yeah, so it, it, that's why I, I, I try to tell people there's the best ones, you, the one you read. Yeah, yeah, that's that's <laughs> exactly right. Um I should also, while I'm thinking about it, something you said brought this up. Um, another uh, important thing for people to realize about translations uh, is that they involve interpretation, you know. That, right. uh, and so uh, you should be mindful of where your translation's coming from. Not that, and I would say there are none of them, none of the major ones out there are going to mislead you or anything because the what's really important in scripture is clear and that message is going to get across. But, um, but, but people should be mindful of the fact that <laughs> the reason why it takes 10 years to produce and 90 scholars total to produce the new living translation is because to translate it, you're involved in discussions of proper interpretation, you know, just take, a good example, Genesis 1, 1 uh, and 2, do you translate it, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, period. Now the earth was formless and void. Or do you translate it, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, comma, the earth was formless formless and void. And uh, and so that's just one example of, of the fact that, you know, translations are interpretations which should tell you to look at more than one translation when you're doing a deep dive when you're doing a deep dive into and also use good resources like the study bibles you're mentioning yeah. uh, get behind why why is it why is there a difference here between these two and what significance does that have i also mention it sometimes because you know when i'm talking about say Genesis one and its ancient Near Eastern background. I've had people come up to me and say, "We don't need you and all your knowledge about the ancient Near East to uh, uh, to understand the Bible." I said, "No, you really don't understand the main message, but it's very helpful." You know, they go, "No, no, no, no. I just need my my Bible. You know, my ESV, my NLT." And I say, "Well, you got to realize by the time you're reading it, we've made 
a lot of interpretive decisions. Well, I, I think what people don't realize is that everything is formed in a context. Yeah, right. And, and yeah. just like you can't understand Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech without understanding racial issues in the yeah. South. Yeah. And it, it's the same, I think, what I've learned over the years is that every everything is written in a culture. Yeah. I mean, it, it, just to, to play on a word there, I mean, we're talking, we're, we're online, we're talking about, we're on Zoom right now. I mean, <laughs> Zoom has different meanings of something 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. does, or wow. Windows, or Mouse, or Apple. I mean, these yeah. terms, that especially yeah. within English, uh, my brother-in-law teaches ESL, and he's always coming back with these interesting tidbits, because he said English is a hard language. Yeah. We have multiple words. I mean, weather or weather. It depends on the context. Right, 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 right. And I think I don't think people think about that when they look at the scripture, and they even forget that even the translators themselves are in a culture. Yeah, right, right, right. And writing that. That's why I think when I when I meet and I travel, uh, I, I interact with people, and they tell me a cultural expression that I have to then translate into my own culture. One of my favorite ones is an Indian guy was uh, he's a property manager for this this large ministry in India. And uh, the the founder of the ministry, he he likes to to build properties that are there. And the the property manager, he has to keep up. And he 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 lamented and he said, you know, it's one thing to pay for the elephant. It's another thing to feed it. <laughs> and there's a little, you know, that expression. It's like, well, that's an Indian expression, but yeah, I understand yeah. the meaning of right, it. Right. But sometimes that is lost, is it not? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I this in a phrase, it's a ritual that's described in Genesis 15, you know, God tells Abraham, take these animals, split them in half, and then a flaming torch and a smoking fire pot goes through it. It's kind of like, what? <laughs> yeah, what is that? But, you know, we have a couple of references in ancient Near Eastern literature, specifically, you know, Akkadian, that refers to a ritual that people who are entering into a serious agreement, uh, you know, go through this ritual and it provides a kind of background. But that's why my friend John Walton uh, famously says, we need to remember that the Bible was not written to us. It was, but it's written for us, but it's not written to us. And we got to mm. start with understanding the Bible in its original context as well as we can. And then we need to definitely talk about how does that apply to me today in the 21st century in our particular cultural context after the time that Christ has come, you know, all that kind of stuff. We're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors and we'll be right back. The most important Bible translation is the one you read. At Apollos Watered, we use several different translations when we're studying, preaching, or teaching. But again and again, we keep coming back to the New Living Translation, the NLT. That's why we are excited to partner together. We are united in the belief that understanding the Bible changes everything. Because if you can't understand it, then you won't read it. We want you to know the God of the Bible, to water your faith so that you will water your world. That's why we recommend getting an NLT. It's the Bible in the language we speak. It's not foreign or complicated, but up close and personal. 
To save some money, go to Tyndale.com. Use the promo code NLT Bibles. It will give you 15% off. There's an NLT for everyone, from kids to adults, devotional Bibles, study Bibles, and so much more. Get one today because understanding the Bible changes everything, and the NLT is the Bible you can understand. So let me let me let me park on this for a moment because we often hear that the NLT is good for new believers. I hear this. Oh, it's great for new believers, but after that, not so good. And mm-hmm. and at first, I got caught up in that, and I thought, oh wow, I have to be holy. I have to read the CSB or the the ESV or and oh, if I'm really holy, I got to go into the KJV. <laughs> I mean, I mean that's that's a language that Paul spoke after yeah. all, <laughs> right? And, but why is it that people think that the, the, I mean, why, why do people have that mindset? Well, you know, I think part of it might be because they're, uh, you know, the NLT replaced the living Bible, which was a paraphrase. Now, and I hear, I can hear some people say paraphrase. Yeah. And they they revolt against it as if it's anathema. Oh, we're so horrible in the paradise. Well, yeah, never mind. I, I won't use his name on air. I will t- <laughs> tell you afterwards. <laughs> I had a conversation, a really friendly conversation with uh, one of the prominent members of the ESV, which tends to be more word for word. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually less word for word than some of their marketing <laughs> makes it out to be. But, um, but he was saying, you know, Tremper, we were having lunch, he goes, Tremper, I'd be fine with the NIV and NLT if they would just call themselves what they are. And I said, what's that? He goes, paraphrases. Well, I said, well, they're not paraphrases. We spent 10 years, 90 scholars in total, uh, working very carefully with the Greek and Hebrew texts. And a, a paraphrase is when you take one language like English and Ken Taylor did a masterful job, you know, taking the old American Standard Bible and rendering it into a more accessible English at a time when, you know, in the 60s when the yeah, old- you didn't do that. I mean, that really wasn't a lot yeah. of people didn't do that. That was uh, because right. people still were pretty married to the KJV, which is oh, yeah. e- even itself. And I don't want to I don't want to harp on and say that one version is bad because even the KJV, I mean, what a lasting oh, legacy, 400 oh, yeah. years. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. And it's, um, you know, I think what people tend to forget reading in the 21st century is the KJV is a more thought-for-thought translation. And what? It's, and it's, no! And it's in, it's in the... It's in the contemporary language of the day, you know, so it's... Uh, um, <laughs> But we've kind of, when we've kind of, uh, some people feel like the um, the English of the Bible needs to sound kind of like the King James Version, kind of high literary style. Yeah. But the Hebrew and Greek varies, but most of it is pretty popular or common everyday language. I mean, of, of that time. Yeah, yeah. And so the Greek, that's why we refer to it as Koine Greek, you know, it's not literary Greek, though, you know, some of the books are pretty complicated in Greek, but um, like Hebrews, but, you know, John is pretty straightforward, everyday Greek. In terms of the Hebrew, you know, Isaiah kind of flies to high literary heights. Job has its uh, 
difficulties, partly because it uses so many rare words and it's in a kind of poetic syntax that is difficult. But, you know, um, most of the prose is pretty straightforward Hebrew. So, um, uh, so, so, so the idea that our, our, English Bibles need to use multi-syllabic technical terms uh, in order to reflect the biblical language, I think is kind of a misunderstanding. Though I, I'm glad we have translations out there that use propitiation, atonement, you know, yeah. all these technical No, 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 I'm glad for those theological words. But on the other hand, um, you know, um, it's good that we also have uh, translations like the NLT that'll translate to a tone as to make right with, you know, which captures the meaning. The meaning. Well, because yeah. because I, I notice, I mean, I I I am a big advocate of trying to keep don't don't lose theological words, but explain them. Yeah, right. And, and right. oftentimes, I don't think we do that. We throw out words and we expect people to know it. And right. how often do we use the word propitiation? We just don't. That's not right. in our our modern vocabulary, but the concept and the truth of it is there. We just need to draw it out. And so that's why I'm grateful to, for the NLT, but I'm also grateful that you said that some keep that. And that's why I, I do believe that the most important one is the one you read. And you should have a variety yeah. Yeah. of translations. But I, when I do hear that it's only for new believers, I cringe because I, I've talked to several pastors yeah. and they, and it's almost as if they're secretly telling me because they're afraid of what their church members are saying. It says, well, that's what I read for my private time with the Lord. <laughs> yeah, and I'm yeah. like, why, why are we whispering right yeah, now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's going on here? I don't understand. Well, yeah, we used to kind of, and this was a joke, uh, you know, inside joke. We used to say the NLT will be a translation that pastors will hate because it makes it so clear they don't have to explain it, you know? Oh, <laughs> oh, ouch. But in, ouch. in that conversation with that pastor, he made a good point, though, and that is, um, you know, in uh, the NLT, and then it becomes, you know, if, if we're discussing something, and, well, even just take... A uh, hypothetical example, word of Jesus, word of Jesus. Uh, is that a word about Jesus or is that a word that Jesus speaks? Um, sometimes it's a little bit ambiguous, but if we as a committee uh, have a, you know, we, we think, or at least 80% of us think that it's word about Jesus, we'll say word about Jesus, not keep it ambiguous. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, some translations retain the ambiguity by just translating such an expression as word of Jesus, which is great. Again, I'm glad we have both kinds of versions, but, um, but, uh, but again, yeah, getting back to your original point, I, I use the NLT all the time. I'm not a new believer, you know, and it's, it's a wonderful translation to use, uh, at all levels of understanding. Mm -hmm. So, well, how do you then, you you talked a little bit about this, you've touched on it, but how do you handle the tough parts when words or phrases have meanings that are ambiguous? So you you do have a tendency to, to translate it to make it more clear, while other translations have a tendency to leave that ambiguity there and yeah. place that upon the, the pastor, the interpreter, the, the everyday reader. So how did you guys handle those? Yeah, we handled it by if there was... Uh, uh, 
kind of a consensus that it meant one thing rather than another thing, uh, we would uh, translate it to clarify the ambiguity. Um, and, and all translations do that to different levels. Um, and, and so I, let me, here's uh, another example. And, uh, and it becomes a decision when we translate the Song of Songs, which is full of all kinds of metaphors that are yeah. difficult for uh, us to comprehend. Um, we might translate in a way to give a hint of what that metaphor means. Now, the, there's a downside to that. And the downside is metaphors typically have more than sort of one meaning and it kind of resonates and to have the, you know, your eyes are like doves, uh, let it impact you and think about it, even though it's, <laughs> it's, it's a little difficult to, to know what, 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 what the meaning was. Meaning I mean, was. what the intent. Did, yeah. did I have, I had a girl that I dated years ago and she said that a guy she had dated before me was trying to compliment her. And he says, you're, you're what he said, your eyes are like chocolate chips in a world full of oatmeal. <laughs> oh yeah. <there> you go. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what? And she's like, that's what I said. What? Yeah, right. <laughs> but I mean, there's these compliments when, you know, your, your, your hair is like sheep descending Mount Gilead. Right. You know, right. I'm like, right. Right. I say that to my wife. She's yeah. going to be like, say yeah. what? <laughs> or what about uh, you know your teeth are like a flock of new shorn <laughs> and you know it says something about being twinned and basically <laughs> your teeth are not only white but you have all of them and that's <laughs> that, that apparently was a compliment back in the world but uh, <laughs> I mean how do you even translate that today what right. your your teeth are like milk at Publix I mean it's <laughs> wide in a row right. and there's a full thing of money what do you do for that I don't know yeah oh but but yet we know I mean God still communicates through that and yeah he, that's the yeah. power of the word yeah. and that's what I love about right. it and it doesn't matter your culture yeah that's right. That's right. For sure. That's the, that's the beauty of it. But how do you, um, how do you then as a translator, did you have to think about genre and culture? Cause to me, oh, yeah. what we're doing is all about culture. Cause yeah. it's my contention that culture determines everything we see. Yeah. We all have cultures we live in. We have even subcultures, church cultures, academic cultures, city cultures, neighborhood cultures, family culture. We have cultures everywhere. Yeah. But how did you guys weigh that when you're translating? Um, well, first of all, in terms of the ancient culture from which the texts come, we were, uh, you know, very mindful of that. Um, and as we translate, and also the difference of genre. I mean, you're exactly right. Genre is such an important consideration and interpretation. Um, and I and I think we were aware of our own culture where we were coming from, uh, though that becomes much more difficult because, as you're saying, there's there's more than one culture out there. Matter of fact, if I looking back, um, twenty what was it? Oh, we're talking thirty years ago now when we started the project, and this is true of most translation committees of the time, it was not mindful enough, shall we say, of diverse cultures of mm -hmm. English speaking. Esau Macaulay has written a really good, I forget yeah. what it is, I've read reading, it. Reading While Black. 
Yeah, he wrote Reading While Black, and Esau then wrote a piece, I forget where it is, on translating and just pointing out that, you know, it's important for translation committees to include diversity of gender and uh, and color and so forth. And I think I think that's going to be true moving forward. That uh, because again, one of the things that is an important implication of what you're talking about culture is that cultures change over time, languages change over time, mm-hmm. which means that. It's really important that translations go through major revisions every, say, 25 years. Um, like you said, language is changing. I remember yeah. C.S. Lewis writing that language was like a river or a stream. It's yeah. always moving. Yeah. It's always changing. And I feel like in today's culture, it's changing so quickly yeah. with globalization right. and the Internet and a lot of the different postmodern ideologies that are there and questioning of language and meta narrative and and so I think you're right. I think we need to, to, we're always changing our language in what's said. I mean, just think of terms that we've added over the last two years, COVID-19, yeah, social right. distancing, yeah. you know, the, the mask idea, even Zoom. All of these terms are new to our, our cultural lexicon. Yeah. And, yeah. and they inter- then they change how we think, how we know, how we go about language. But some still say, well, you know, the Bible cuts through all that. Well, it does. But you still need translation because last I checked, you're not reading in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Yeah. Anytime you translate language, right? Yeah. Let, let's you first use a non-controversial, uh, uh, relatively non-controversial uh, example before using a more controversial example. Sure. Yeah. Back when the King James was originally done, you distinguished in English between uh, second person singular and second person plural, you know, you or thou. <laughs> yeah. and, and so one of the, the new King James version, when it does its good work, it gets rid of the you, thou, and it obscures kind of the distinction which Hebrew has uh, between... By just saying you? Yeah, by just saying you. You just say you for singular because we don't say thou anymore in every day. We Latin. should bring it back. <laughs> thou, thou in this podcast yeah. <laughs> some words we need to bring back tripper we need to bring some of this stuff back because king well, james praying to king james is awesome i feel like i'm in the glory of heaven when the king james gets prayed well it is funny at least uh when i first became a christian how people would kind of revert in prayer to thou and these sometimes yeah but um but the more controversial issue uh uh, over the past 20 years is the change in the English language when it comes to gender neutral language, you know? So mm. it's like, uh, um, and there are people who feel that, um, that to use non uh, gendered um, references to refer to context when men and women are both met is some kind of capitulation to feminism. And I, I would differ with them, or I would actually say that perhaps, you know, feminism isn't uh, all bad. It pointed out some problems that we yeah, need. And disparities <laughs> in between. Yeah. The, yeah. the hard part is knowing where to walk that line. Yeah. Because there, yeah. there is that part where we are gendered as individuals yeah. oh, and yeah. women. 
But there is a part where, and again, this is the cultural part where we're responding to abuses that have been done. And yeah. we want to show and highlight uh, something that has often been neglected, and that's the role of women within the early early church and, yeah, and within yeah. Christianity in general. But again, you're, we're talking about a cultural response, which is good, because I, I, we, we, we do want to draw attention to that. We do want to show the, the value of, of women and that they are distinct. I think that's what we're trying yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. it's just interesting how that's been brought out today, whereas other cultures, of course, that was a just kind of kicked by the wayside. That was my conversation with Tremper Longman III. I would encourage you to come back next time as we continue our conversation, as we do talk a little bit further about Bible translation, but about wisdom literature and the need to apply the Word of God to our world today. Not just read it, but to apply it. And if this episode has helped you, would you consider partnering with us? We are in our Ready to Fly campaign, and we're looking for 80 new watering partners this year. For those who have already partnered with us, you rock and thank you. Let's keep this thing going together. We'd love to have more people grow from connecting with Apollo Swattered. If you've been impacted while listening to a podcast, would you do us a favor? Screenshot it, text it to a friend, share it on your stories, or simply share it directly from whatever podcast platform you are using. It would also help us quite a bit if you would subscribe or leave a review also, because that puts it out there to more people. Remember, there's also content on Instagram, Facebook, and our website that is shareable. Together, we want to leave a trickle of truth and encouragement around the world so as to watch people grow. Much thanks to our Apollos Water team of Kevin, Melissa, Donovan, Eliana, Rebecca, and Audrey. Water your faith, water your world. This is Travis Michael Fleming signing off from Apollos Watered. Stay watered, everybody. Stay watered.